Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right on the week, and we're talking pass rush today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 314. At the top of this week's show, we've got Scouting Report, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the top three sack artists in the NFL this season. That's TJ Watt with Pittsburgh, Aaron Donald with the Rams, and Trey Hendrickson down with the Saints. What are the traits that we saw on tape? What were, what about the schemes? What showed up there? What takeaways do we have from all three players? How do they apply to this Eagles group of pass rushers? We've got a lot to talk about, but before we get there, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. First up, I'm going to ask you guys once again to head over to our Apple Podcast page and just throw us your support with a rating and a comment. If you've got a question, if you've got a request for something for us to cover here on the show, and this could be about anything, now's the time. Jump on, let me know. Just leave your request in the comment section. I will fulfill that request here in the next couple of episodes. Also, if you enjoy my chats here with Ben on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast every week, then make sure you go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. Uh, not only are Ben and I over there every single week, but uh, my friend Greg Cosell joins us every single week over on that show. Dane Brugler's on there every single week, a great draft analyst with The Athletic, one of the best in the business. We get weekly guests. It's a really, really fun show and gets you ready here for this 2021 NFL draft. Obviously a huge one for this Philadelphia Eagles football team. So if you're into the draft, go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcast can be found. All right, enough about Journey. Let's get this show rolling here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. It's time now to dive into our chat in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. All right, so I'm excited to get this one going here with uh, with Ben Fennels. I welcome Ben in. Ben, uh, we're going to take a look at TJ Watt, Aaron Donald, and Trey Hendrickson, all of their sacks from this past year. Now, those three guys led the league in sacks. TJ Watt finished with 15. Aaron Donald and Trey Hendrickson both finished with 13 and a half. So nice little sample of all three players. This was a, this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah. And three different defenses, obviously three different deployments of how they, uh, you know, get those particular players after opposing quarterbacks. But, you know, there was a lot to look at and it was fun kind of exercise to see how sacks and pressures are generated. And you can do it in multiple ways with different style players and different schemes. And I think those three players are a really interesting kind of case study. Was there something you were most excited to see going into watching these three guys? Well, particularly how they generated that production. That was yeah. obviously the, the crux of the exercise, but I just want to differentiate how many of these sacks and pressures are done through effort, intensity, hustle, as opposed to speed and skill. So I want to see the speed of the pressure in combination with the hustle, the motor, the pursuit to finish plays um, and what are yielding more results on a down to down and more of a consistent basis uh, when looking at these pressures and sacks. 
So for me, it was kind of along those same lines. Like, uh, you know, one of the things I love talking about is like pass rush skill and a guy's plan in terms of attacking an offensive lineman. So I just wanted to watch these three guys work and see how many of those sacks, uh, you know, come from, you know, showing that advancement as a pass rusher, that understanding of how to attack the guy across from you and get from A to B. Um, yeah, and we, we talk all about traits, especially this time of year, getting into the NFL draft. How much, how many of those traits uh, show up with these three guys considering their production uh, just from this past season? So I was excited to dig into that. And before we get into our burning questions, we always do the stats that matter. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to you first. Were, were, were there some numbers that, you know, maybe you did some research beforehand or uh, as you were, as you were watching, doing any charting, uh, what were some of the numbers that stood out to you during the process? Yeah, a couple of things. Obviously, Aaron Donald has the high sack total that got him in this conversation, but his impact is so much greater. He had 104 QB pressures that led Jeez. the NFL. That was 24 more than the next. That's insane. So, That's so while insane. he has a high sack total and impressive sack total, his impact comes with the pressures and hurrying of the quarterback's process as well. Sometimes that quarterback just barely getting the ball out before he goes to the ground. That takes. You said, wait, you said it was 104. 104 QB pressures this past year, according to PFF. So what's that like? That's like eight a game, right? something something like that. It's like it's something along those lines. That's that's insane. That's an awesome number. It's productive, friend. Yeah, it is productive. <laughs> um, I'm quickly so. going through here and just uh, updating the board as I was going through different metrics on PFF Ultimate, which is a really good uh, tool to study some of these players. Total pressures generated. Oh, excuse me. I was 111. Oh, okay. All right. So add a couple uh, that I, I included postseason then. So, All right. Okay. There we go. Um, Shaq Barrett looks like he did squeeze the gap a little bit there in the playoffs as he had a, a really good a run of- on his way to, to the Super Bowl. But some of the other stats, the time to sack. So I thought this is a really interesting perspective just to kind of equate how quickly are guys winning or they clean up sacks and kind of uh, effort motor pursuit stuff late in the down. Aaron Donald's average time to sack 4.06. TJ Watt 4.29. Trey Hendrickson 4.8. And we'll talk a little bit more about this to give yep. some perspective as these yep. numbers are all going to be very tight and we're talking about tens and hundredth place. Um, but that's the NFL game. You know, it's uh, it's a bunch of car crashes, things happen very fast and 4.06 versus 4.8 is an eternity in the pocket. So that's speaking to Aaron Donald's ability to win a little bit quicker than the TJ Watts and Trey Hendrickson's of the world. And the last thing I have for you, that's kind of interesting, Fran, Aaron Donald, more sacks on first down than third down. Right. Yep. And I think that's going to be interesting conversation because when you can play the run, you can play a little bit more. Mm. And I just want to check with you. You're allowed to throw the ball on first down in the NFL, right? I think that is uh, actually encouraged by uh, most analytic, uh, <laughs> analytically driven people. Yes. So, so run defenders play more. You're on the field more. That means you have the ability to generate more pressures and sacks. Um, and I think Aaron Donald, TJ Watt, Hendrickson's all being able to generate pressures and stuff on first down really speak to the style of player we're going to be talking about. Yeah, I think I so. All right, so when, when we're doing these clips, right? When we're doing the, all these uh, these scouting report segments, when we're doing the film breakdowns. I like to chart stuff as we're as we're watching, just to be able to go back to it later and reflect on it. And uh, you know, if everybody in here is you know that's listening has gone through a spreadsheet before, and you know, going across from left to right, you have like column A, B, C, D. In this breakdown, I I got into like 
AF. Like I got into like, so, you know, I was charting a lot of things. So to try and narrow down a couple of different stats, I wanted to make sure I brought to the table. I narrowed it down to three and there were a couple that I thought were interesting. A few I'm going to hit on uh, for sure a little bit later, but three that I thought fit for this category. Uh, number one, 35 of the 43 sacks came on downs where there were at least six yards to go. All right, so you go into your third and longs. That plays into your first down as well. Uh, It's not just, you know, oh, third and 11, let's pin our ears back and go. There were plenty of first and 10 sacks. I believe of the 43, I believe it was uh, 22 or 21 happened on first down. So half, right right off the the jump, half of them happened on first down. Um, And again, it's it's with a lot of distance to go. So uh, we could talk about, uh, you know, oh, you know, make sure you get off the field. You know, you, as an offense, you want to stay ahead of the sticks. Don't make sure that, uh, you know, don't give the defense the ability to just get after the quarterback. Uh, those certainly uh, were led to m- the majority of these sacks. Number two, 25 of the 43 sacks happened with the quarterback at the top of his drop or getting right to just about to get to that second progression. Only nine of them happened on scrambles and nine of them happened where the quarterback kind of dropped his eyes. He was pressured and uh, was trying to avoid the rest, but was still within the confines of the pocket. So when you look at that, it's going back to what you were saying in terms of that ability to win quickly, get from A to B, get to the top of the pocket and attack the quarterback more than half, well over half uh, happened, you know, in that phase uh, in that area of the field. And then the last one, you know, we talk about the difference between a high side rush and a low side rush. A high side meaning you're going to win off the edge. You're going to try and turn the corner, win outside the opposing offensive lineman. Low side meaning you're either going to attack his inside gap or try and go right through the guy. The majority of these sacks were the latter. They were guys that were going either going right through or winning on the inside gap. It wasn't just uh, turning the corner and getting the outside edge. So I thought that was a, a notable stat as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, the path in which they won. And I think all three players have the ability to have that three-way go, to win high side, inside, or to use that brute strength and go right through offensive linemen as well. All right, so uh, the way we're going to do this is the way that I kind of – I'm don't. i not sure how you did it, but I went – I watched all of Watts' sacks first, then I watched all of Aaron Donald's, then I watched all of Trey Hendrickson's. Uh, and so we'll start with T.J. Watt and watching all 15 of his sacks – What was your biggest takeaway uh, from watching the film on all 15 of those plays? So as much as I love his effort, his motor, it just seems like he never stops out there. He's pursuing the ball, you know, from whistle to whistle. But each of these sacks, I want to say 90 or 95 percent of them was some sort of display of playing through contact. Mm. And he never really looked to shake an offensive lineman or run around an offensive lineman. He wanted to play through them. And when you do that, you can obviously go from point A to point B much faster. Um, It keeps you alive in the play that much more to then make second reaction pressures for quarterbacks wanting to step up or react to your rush or maybe make a play out and pursue out in space there. But TJ Watt's ability to play through contact in a variety of ways is what allows him to stay clean and on his feet three, four, five seconds into the play for a lot of those hustle and motor sacks uh, that he generates. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely one of the things to take away. And honestly, like this is coming from a person in me that uh, I was not super, super high on TJ Watt when he was coming out of Wisconsin. And even watching, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit offline uh, recently, just kind of lo- looking at TJ Watt, um, looking at the players that are like him where you watch the production, you watch the big plays, and you're not like blown away by 
the traits that he shows, right? He, this is not a guy that you're like, oh man, like he is such a technician. Oh man, he is so powerful. Uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a fluid athlete. He's loose, but he's not a guy that you're like, oh man, look at him just blow by the offensive lineman. But when you talk about his competitiveness, what, one of the things that I did was I tracked six different traits, six things that I think a lot of people would say, oh, like this is what you're looking for in a pass rusher. For every single one of these sacks, I tracked whether a guy used his first step, his ability to bend and turn the corner, his power, his use of hands, his rush skill, and his competitiveness, right? So those six traits, and I feel like when you take those six, you feel pretty good about a guy being able to rush the quarterback. His competitiveness showed up across the board, and that was what stood out, stood out most for me, not just uh, in with his sacks, but in terms of all three of these guys, if you don't have that competitiveness, that urgency, you talk about you know the ability to play through contact, you're not getting home to the quarterback. That's just that's a necessary trait. Um, you know, so to me, watching uh, watching TJ Watt, the competitiveness that was his number one trait, and the to me the one that showed up least was flexibility. That's the one where you're like, yeah, you didn't necessarily need flexibility. He didn't need to turn the corner like that race car making the turn, you know, on the uh, the Indy 500. You didn't necessarily need to have that in order to win. And I think that's a kind of an important thing to kind of take away from watching TJ Watt. We all fall in love with that, you know, that, that sexy bendy edge rusher who can uh, you know, turn the corner on the on the tackle, but you need more than that to have an NFL success. You know, and I think an interesting exercise as we're throwing around some terms, uh, you know, suddenness and explosive and competitive. Yep. Fran, what's your elevator speech on a player that isn't competitive? What does that mean? Give me a quick definition of a yep. kind of a framework. We're talking about his ability to be competitive. Yep. Go the other way. What's a player that's not competitive in your All eyes? Right. All right. Great question. Great question. So, and we should do that more often. Um, so what a guy would, you know, would look like that on film, number one, gets stuck on blocks and does not show that ability to play through contact, right? So when a, an offensive lineman or even a tight end, that's the one thing you know, watch guys in college, if they're getting blocked one-on-one by tight ends, you're not a star pass rusher. I'm sorry, like you cannot be getting blocked one-on-one by guys that are smaller than you. So uh, getting playing through contact, number one. Number two, certainly that ability to make plays from the backside. And that's the thing with TJ Watt. He had so many plays that you would categorize as kind of like cleanup plays or effort plays where, yeah, like, Somebody else, maybe it was uh, Cam Hayward or Stefan Tuitt or uh, you know Bud Dupree coming from the other side. Maybe it was a, a coverage sack. There were a couple of those where Joe Hayden locked a guy down or Steven Nelson uh, jumped a route, forced the quarterback to hold on to the football, and now he's climbing or he's stepping away, and now here comes C.J. Watt coming from the backside. If you don't have that consistent level of urgency, then, yeah, the, you're not going to be able to find that production. So, uh, to me, when we're talking about competitiveness, I'm talking about playing through contact, that motor and just that that relentless ability to finish plays, uh, whether that's backside or you know even coming ch- chasing back uh, in your in the, your same direction of the field. Yeah, that's great. I think you hit a home run there. I'm glad you hit the my key word of urgency. Yeah. Um, and just being competitive is just always being interested in the play, even if the action is away from you, even if maybe your initial move died out. Having counter moves and essentially being competitive, you could break it right down to a boxer being able to swing while getting punched in the face. I got news for you. That's not for everybody. Yep. It's like pushing out into the ocean with the waves coming at you. You have to keep fighting, keep churning. Listen, you're going to get hit in the face. You're going to get, you know, uh, tackles punching you in the throat. You don't get to say, hold on a second. Let me put my mouthpiece back in and fix my face mask. It's gritty out there. You got to play through that stuff. And certain guys are wired a little bit differently. And this type of job, Fran, it's not for everybody. Um, so a lot of that competitive nature is there's just some brute toughness that comes with it. 
So like one of the plays, there was a, uh, this was the a sack against Houston in week three. He gets chipped by the tight end and he gets mm. pushed over a gap. Right. And he, this essentially helped him get into the backfield. But again, when you talk about being able to play through contact, there was one where uh, I think it was the week before against Denver, he's blocked by the fullback. I think this was down on like on the goal line or low red zone. He's blocked by the fullback. The quarterback starts to his left, works back across the field. And he's like, all right, I got nowhere to go. Steps up, comes to his right. And he steps right in to TJ Watt. But again, it was TJ Watt. He yeah, initially blocked, but stays in the play. And I thought just overall, that level of competitive, competitiveness showed up again and again and again and again. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit that to a T. All right. So uh, let's get to the next guy. Now let's talk about a little bit about Aaron Donald. What was your biggest takeaway um, from watching Aaron Donald in his, uh, it was, we ended up being 14 plays on 13 and a half sacks. You know, as much as I want to say the word explosive, you know, you see that all the time in Aaron Donald's movement patterns, uh, his ability to play from a variety of alignments. But I think I want to sub out the word explosive for sudden. Hmm. And whether that's his first step off the ball, whether it's his hand usage in clubs and rips and different, you know, chop moves, whether it's his suddenness in shedding a block or whether it's his suddenness surging to the quarterback once he clears that offensive alignment. You just see all those different aspects of whether you want to call it an explosive element. It's just weird to call hands explosive. That's just kind of a weird framework. So I like the fact that he's sudden with all these things. And one of the interesting things of being sudden is you can be sudden to bull rush. You think sometimes sudden is always to run around guys. So I'm going to be sudden and shake you like a point guard and cross you up. I saw him be sudden to attack that little opening of an offensive lineman's chest and then bowl him back. Mm. So to use that suddenness in so many different ways, winning off the line, hand usage, attacking the leverage and posture of offensive linemen, and then obviously surging and finishing to the quarterback, all checking the boxes of suddenness. So I love that for sure. And I think when you, we, we used the word urgency with TJ Watt, I think that's another kind of synonym to use with that, right? It's just always just violent movements, violent short area movements uh, with Aaron Donald. To me, there were two things that stood out. And all right, there's one thing from a schematic standpoint. I thought that LA did an outstanding job of saying, okay, look, uh, we are going to find ways to get him one-on-one. You know, if you're a defensive tackle, uh, you've got the center that's right there, just a, a gap or so away. If, a, if an offense wants, they can just slide protect your way and basically throw two bodies at you every single snap if you're just going to be a stationary target, right? TJ Watt, large majority of his plays, not just in the ones we watch, but just the large majority of his snaps, they come up over the right tackle. He's lined up basically as a nine technique wide out uh, outside the tight end, right? But he's coming off the offense's right side. Trey Hendrickson, same thing, majority, but from the opposite side, he's going up against the left tackle. He's lining up out wide. Aaron Donald lined up everywhere. And with all the different varieties in terms of their fronts, what they would do is they would try and create isolation for him to be able to work. And so, you know, if that meant, hey, we're going to cover up the center with a nose tackle, and then we're going to put Aaron Donald over the left guard, and we're going to put a D end right over the tackle, you can't double team now because that center, he's going to be occupied by that nose tackle. And the guard next to him, the other, the opposite, on the opposite side, He's got somebody covering him up too. So now you've created this situation where you're going to have a one-on-one. And, you know, I mentioned that one of the things I was charting was just, uh, you know, how these guys were able to win. And there was a term that I had used, uh, you know, our friend Brandon Thorne was throwing out the term quality sacks, just where he just won clean off the ball. 14 plays, all right? Aaron Donald had 11 quality sacks, 11, all right? So I'm like, all right, well, what, what does that look like compared to the other guys? TJ Watt, 
had four. Trey Hendrickson had four. Aaron Donald had 11. <laughs> like when you just talk about a guy who was just winning off the ball and getting from A to B fast, Aaron Donald's an alien. He is crazy freaky in terms of his ability to win with technique. He can win with speed. He can win with power. He can win with effort. He is, he is just outstanding. I mean, there's not much to say. And this isn't breaking news. Everybody knows Aaron Donald is one of the best players in the league. But I think that the other part of that is that they did a great job last year, and this will be a big task for the new defensive coordinator there, is to ensure that he can still get those one-on-one opportunities. Give him the opportunity to you know rush one-on-one against the guy. We've talked about that in the past when it comes to offensive playmakers. Hey, Keenan Allen, yeah, he's great off press coverage. He's a great separator. That doesn't mean you can't help him every once in a while and create <laughs> free releases for him. I think it's the same thing here with Aaron Donald. You can still find ways to make it easy for him. I don't think we talk about that enough with these generational talents, these, you know, for all intents and purposes, Hall of Fame type talents. I think we're all uh, safe with putting Aaron Donald there at this point. But we don't talk about putting those types of players in positions to be successful. Yeah. Now, listen, he's good at almost everything. He can win almost anywhere. But you can still use some schematic elements to help him and to put him in advantageous situations like you talked about. I just think we get so enamored with their ability. We don't always talk about the usage and the fits and the scheme in which they're using that ability. Yep. I think that's uh, certainly a big thing to take into account when you're talking about Aaron Donald and his usage from last year. Uh, Let's transition now to Trey Hendrickson and our biggest takeaway from watching him. What was uh, the big one for you? Well, he's just so technically sound. Mm. Um, And he just seems like, I think on the 14 sacks, ended up being 14 plays to watch for him. I think 13 out of 14, he was the first guy off the ball. Yep. And just how consistent he is with his get off, his pass rush plan, his pass rush path too of never having really bad rushes behind the quarterback, things like that. There's a lot of power rushes, a lot of things that are similar to TJ Watt, his ability to play through uh, contact, power rushes, cleanup, effort, pursuit. But collectively, I was just really impressed with how technically sound Hendrickson was, which for all intents and purposes is the most physically limited out of these three. No doubt. And might be the most physically limited out of the top 25 sack artists or totals, you know, from 2020. So he has to be technically sound. He has to play hard. He has to play through contact. He has to have counter moves. And I think you saw all that when you watch, you know, a lot of these sacks from 2020. Yeah. You know, we, when the Eagles played the Saints uh, back in the fall, it was in November. Uh, you know, we talked about that scheme, and that was the thing that did stand out to me here was that uh, you know they did a lot of different things. Not necessarily from like you know we talked about with Aaron Donald creating those one on ones. It's not that they were doing that for Hendrickson, but with what they were able to do to mix things up from a uh, split safety coverage looks, um, you know, pressures using the linebackers up in the line of scrimmage. They had more stunts, uh, you know, in this cut up than the other two teams. Right? They, they New Orleans did a lot more in terms of uh, their two and three man game than the Rams did and then the Steelers did. So uh, trying to create havoc up front with their personnel, that allowed uh, situations where, I mean, he had more coverage sacks, quote-unquote, than the other two guys, right? Where he's able to get home, and again, going back to that competitiveness aspect, he's able to win with effort. He was constantly going 100 miles an hour, and that allowed him to put himself in a position to be productive. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And it's just funny to look at these style of players and to say, you know what? TJ Watt, Hendrickson, they're not the most twitched up, you know, edge rushers. They're not the loosest edge rushers. Why are they so productive? How are they so consistently productive? And listen, each of them play on great front sevens, great defensive lines. They all feed off each other. I think they do a really good job collectively. But how are they winning so 
consistently throughout their careers and not really checking a lot of the boxes of the, you know, the edge rushing, you know, uh, you know, prototypical kind of prospect we're looking for now with that first step and the twitch and the bend at the top of the rush and the ability to corner high side. That really isn't how these two have won. And it's kind of interesting to look at the different traits and what wins. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, and we're going to continue that conversation here uh, in a second because I got, I do have a question for you on that front. Before we get there, though, is there one play or maybe a play, a sequence of plays that stands out most to you uh, from watching these three players and all their sacks from this past year? You know, I had a bunch written here and I'm going to kind of balk at you here, Fran, right. because there were so many that were so similar, particularly Watt and Hendrickson and their ability to play through contact. And there was a play here, actually, of uh, Trey Hendrickson, where he had to engage the tackle. I think it was a little bit of a TE twist where the tackle penetrates the B gap. Trey Hendrickson comes underneath. Hendrickson engaged the uh, left tackle, then looped inside and had to engage, I think, a left guard or the center. But it was just multiple players. He had to fight through all these different blocks. And you just see that ability to play through contact, shed blocks, not afraid of contact. Um, and you're going to face that, you know, in a variety of different scenarios when rushing the passer. You're not going to be able to just run around everybody. Mm-hmm. So being able to obviously play through the contact is so important. And there's so many examples from these three. So uh, for me, there was a two-play sequence. I think it was two, two or three plays in a row watching. Um, it was two Aaron Donald sacks and just kind of marveling at his ability and then also just how technically proficient he was. Uh, he had a sack against Washington relatively early in the year on a Superman cross chop, right, which uh, for listeners that you know can visualize this, Basically, the Superman cross chop, it's a, a rush that uh, we've seen a couple guys in the league really get very good at over the last couple of years. Demarcus Lawrence uh, down in Dallas has been really, really good at it. What you're going to see, and Aaron Donald is one of the best at it, you're going to see the guy basically leave his feet, and he's going to gain so much ground in doing that. And by the time you require a lot of timing when you do this because you have when you're midair and you are a vulnerable target for the offensive lineman, by the way, when you have let all your cleats are off the ground. You're then going to, as the tackle throws his hands, you're going to wipe his hands away or you're going to chop his hands down um, and you're going to basically land. You're going to get the edge on that tackle and then you're going to dip the corner. So he does that against Washington, right? And he gets home, really, really clean win. It was a pretty, pretty pass rush. Gets home for the sack. A couple weeks later, going up against Miami, he does the same move, except this time the offensive lineman there is waiting for it. I think it was the left guard. He's waiting on it. And when uh, when Donald's cleats hit the ground, he immediately converts to bull rush. Immediately, <laughs> no no wasted movement whatsoever. It's like, all right, you're, you you stop me on this rush. Now I'm going to collapse uh, and pushes the pocket, gets home for the sack. So you get two quality sacks. One where he you know you've got that initial move where it was it was beautiful, and then the, the first move stopped. And you see him immediately convert to his next rush. That's the rush skill that we're talking about. When, we when I talk about pass rush skill, that's it right there. Like that was it to a T. I absolutely loved that sequence. I think it was two weeks separated. Uh, I think it was like a week five to a week seven, uh, you know, separation there between Washington and Miami. But man, that was, a, that was an awesome sequence of plays. Well, we might as well finish that whole package because he had three sacks that day against Washington. Yeah. And his third was the one that I loved. He was coming from a wide alignment. He was outside the right tackle with the defensive end, but he's rushing against the right guard like a three tech. Yep. And I remember O-line masterminds in the summer of 2019, all the guards got together and they pretty much started the conversation with Aaron Donald. How do we block this guy? Yep. And the consensus was from some of the who's who of the NFL, whether it's Brandon Brooks or Ron Leary or whoever was let him come to you. 
don't jump guys like that. He wants to win quickly. He wants to knock your hands down and get past you. As opposed to guys with big yep. chests like DeForest Buckner's and Chris Jones, you want to jump those guys and really strike that big strike zone. Yep. But guys like Aaron Donald, a little bit shorter profile, it's hard to get your hands on. So just keep backing up. Take your pass sets. Don't react to him. And in this particular rep, right guard Wes Schweitzer, I believe, yeah, Schweitzer, is, in, yep. is in perfect spot for him. The end of the, the three tech is so wide out there. He took his pass set. He's sinking so far. Come to me, Aaron Donald. And you think that Donald's going to shimmy him and go around you? He just buries his face right into his Goes chest right through and uses that suddenness to attack the chest and bull rushes him right back. And Aaron Donald, listen, he's 6'2", 290 pounds or whatever. He's shredded. You want him to bull rush you. Yep. That's probably the way offensive guards want him to come at you because you're typically 320, 330 and can absorb that. Hmm. So I thought he was in great position. And then he buries his chest and obviously is lower than these offensive linemen and pushes him right into Alex Smith and forces a fumble. But, you know, the fact that I thought the guard was in the exact spot we want those guards to be in for him, and he still lost. Yep. You know, it was just a, we had everything we wanted and Donald's still that good. You know what it is too? And this is this was really startling to me because one of the other things that I charted, I told you I was charting the traits for the pass rushers in terms of what showed up in their win, right? What showed up that led to the sack. I did the same thing if an offensive lineman gave up the sack, right? So if an offensive lineman was directly at fault, I said, okay, what traits or lack of trait showed up most? And so often, and we've, we've talked about this, but it, it's just great oh, a great way to kind of visualize it. You know, I remember down at O-Line Masterminds and uh, you know, Duke Manyweather talking about play speed, get out of your stance, your, your, your feet, allow, good feet allow for efficient hand usage. And I think so often, especially against Aaron Donald, you see guys that are so worried, they are so stressed that they have got to get from A to B. I've got to get to my landmark against this guy or he is going to run right by me. And so often, these guys are so stressed getting out of their stance and getting to the top of the rush that by the time they get there, they're so fast with their feet to get there, their whole body's out of whack. Their hands are wide. Their chest is exposed. Their base is terrible. Their pad level's awful. Their, their butt is straight up in the air. They've got no base whatsoever. And now he could just run right through you or your hands are terrible and he's going to wipe them and get right by you. Everything started with that play speed, that ability to get out of your stance and get to your landmark and then at least give yourself a shot to be competitive against him. Because if you weren't, you're going to get blown right by. You know, and I think we kind of touched on this yesterday uh, off camera and we always talk about cornerbacks in phase, out of phase. Staying yep. in phase is being technically sound with the timing, location, and leverage of your coverage assignment. Being out of phase is you're in recovery mode. And there's different technique aspects when you're in phase and out of phase to completing the play. It's almost like offensive linemen can be in phase, out of phase. Mm. And Jesse, they talked about not getting off the line of scrimmage, getting off the snap. That immediately puts you out of phase into recovery mode. And nobody wants to be out of phase with anything on the football yep. field. So just getting yourself in position to fight is part of the fight. And I think so many times we look at once they engage what went wrong, sometimes it's the steps and the lead up to that position exactly. that puts them in position to win or not. Yep. Um, that is so much more critical. And I think that's going to be something I really emphasize moving forward. And I'm going to talk about tackles and guards. He got out of phase at the snap. 
and then nothing works anymore. You can't go back to your normal pass set if you're out of phase. Yep. You're in recovery mode. You're just scratching and clawing and probably going to drag down that pass rusher just so to save your quarterback. Um, so that's a, an aspect of kind of scouting and evaluation. I think I'm developing and going to start to use and harp on moving forward. Yeah, it, to me, like the, the one thing that showed up most was a guy that, uh, the, you know, the offensive lineman got beat because his hands were terrible. And I think, again, going back to it, it starts with the fact that the feet and the play speed, the getting out of his stance was bad. And that led to the hands being bad, if that makes sense, um, you know, for those at home. So, and in a, in a weird way, Fran, also, like things happen out there, like, you know, road, road domes are loud. There yeah. are instances as a tackle, you get off the ball late. That's not an excuse to give up either. Right. Yep. So, you know, the recovery aspect and being at a phase while we don't want to be there. That's also a note I'm taking away for offensive linemen that get out of phase. Can you recover? Can you, can recover? you scrap and claw and get yourself back in position? Save your quarterback a hit. How do you react when you're a little late off the ball or maybe your left guard stepped on your foot or maybe the running back took the wrong path and, you know, bumped you by accident. Um, as we saw a bad chip, you know, as you mentioned uh, earlier with TJ Watt, things like that happen. So uh, that was one aspect that I was, th- I thought, you know, all right, this is one thing maybe Ben didn't notice. There was the offensive line aspect of it. The one big one though, uh, and this I did chart 10 of 43 of these, because it was 43 total snap, uh, sacks that we watched. Just 10 of them happened when their, their team was losing. One of the 43 happened when the team was down by more than one score. Like all of the, almost all these sacks, three quarters of these sacks happen when the team was, so the Rams, Steelers, or Saints were winning in the game. And I thought that that was uh, really interesting, kind of just seeing that, hey, like when these guys are playing with the lead, you've got that ability now to turn the And I guess when you look at the all three of these guys, uh, the Rams, Steelers, Saints, all three of those teams won a lot of games uh, this regular season. And, you know, when you're, when you're playing with that lead, that gives that defensive line the ability uh, to pin their ears back and go. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty interesting. It's a pretty uh, good group of defenses to be associated with. All right. Was there one thing that you watched that you felt uh, I did not catch? Well, you know, I felt like there was a good uh, aspect of, you know, the quarterback's eyes dropping and a lot yeah. of, you know, some cleanup sacks with uh, Watt and Hendrickson. But for all intents and purposes, this conversation, we're going to kind of remove the unicorn of the group, and that's Aaron Donald. Yeah. So looking at TJ Watt, looking at TJ, uh, Trey Hendrickson, these are not sack artists, but they're consistently generating sacks, pressures, hurries on opposing quarterbacks. Yep. So what is working? And then spinning that forward into what traits are they presenting that we want out of these prospects we're now studying, you know, at this time of year towards the NFL draft. Yeah. And I think we need to kind of realign what works, what doesn't work on Saturdays to Sundays, what is the safest way to generate pressures um, and what are the traits we want in our proverbial edges, defensive ends, you know, QB hunters. Honestly, man, like I've been doing this for the last like two years where I've been trying to pay closer attention and keep it like documented. Like who are the guys that are performing at not even just like the elite level, right? Like not, I don't want to just watch the all pros and say like, oh, this is what this guy is. But like the guys that are, you know, you would say are good starters, solid starters, you know, backups, role players, back end, bottom of the roster guys. What do those guys look like? What are the guys that are at the bottom rung? Like, what are they missing? The guys that are having success, like, what do they have? What do they not have? What's important? What's not important? And just looking at this group, it's just interesting that, you know, I think when you look at the upper echelon of pass rushers in the NFL, so often, and we I hit on this at the very top, 
that flexibility, that ability to turn the corner, that's not the trait, especially when it comes to sustained success in the NFL. Those guys are, you know, they might have a season where, you know, Vic Beasley's got 14 sacks or, oh, you know, he's one of the best pass rushers in the league. But then the next year, uh, he's not that guy. He's got three and a half or four. To me, it's like that competitiveness and that ability to win with power and technique. To me, those are the guys that are having the sustained success in the NFL. And I think there's a lot of reasons why. Yeah, and I think, you know, what I've been calling the past couple of years in differentiating the style of rushers. Some, some may say, are they the bendy, flexible speed rushers or some of the power rushers? And, you know, a term I've been throwing around or a phrase are runaround types. Yeah. And that's my kind of catch-all term for the loose, the undersized edge rusher that wants to run around tackles, that snap jumps and loves to go high side. And, you know, all the time I'll say, oh, that sack doesn't mean anything to me. He didn't use his hands. Because, you know, he's just going to get punched in the head on Sundays with a good NFL tackle. Yeah. But what does that mean about wanting power rushers? I want the ones that want contact. I want the ones that aren't afraid of contact. The ones that can get punched in the face and take a step forward. The ones that can play through the half man. Going from point A to point B is the most direct path in anything in life. So use that in getting after the quarterback where you only have three and a half seconds to do it. Run around types take longer to run around. Mm. And then when you go from A to B, that just means you're alive in the play that much more to make a reactive play. Whether the quarterback wants to break the pocket wide, whether he wants to step up, and then you're still in position as opposed to high side rushers. We talk about flyby rushes quite often. That's when you speed rush behind the quarterback into no man's land and the quarterback steps up. So it's really trying to harp and find what I want out of these types. And they may not be the twitchiest. They may not look great in a three-cone drill. They may not look good at the combine. They may not have the length as Trey Hendrickson has proven, you know, you know, one of the more, I think he had short arms, if I'm not mistaken, coming at FAU. I'll, I'll look at that while you keep talking. Go ahead. Um, but it's just kind of realigning what I want out of this position. And I think so often we look at the, who is in the Hall of Fame? What are the general traits that they have? Von Millers and DeMarcus Wares and Freenies. What do we want out of them? And I think we need to realign and not look for the unicorn. You can't replicate unicorns. You can't replicate the outlier. Otherwise, you're going to be searching for an outlier forever. Aaron Donald's um, not coming through that door for the, in this 2021 draft, the 2022 draft, the 2023 draft. Aaron Donald's not coming through there. So I'm not looking at Aaron Donald and saying, oh, you know, Oso Digizua, I need him to look like that. Right. Nobody's going to look like that. So what are the traits that wins? What is that high floor? Um, and where can I get the production, you know, immediately? And I think, you know, Aaron Donald, more sacks on first down this year than third down. Aaron Donald and TJ Watt were top three in first down sacks last year yep. and 2018. And Bradley Chubb letting QB pressures his rookie year. He led in first down pressures. Because they're on the field. How are you on the field? You're a good run defender. How are you a good run defender? You're tough. You're big. You're physical. You're stout at the point of attack first and foremost. Yep. And that's how you get on the field. And that's how eventually you'll get pressures. I think it's uh, it's such a fun conversation. And it's one of my favorite positions to study. And since there are so many guys that have these different body types that find success, you know, Shaq Barrett looks way different than Zadarius Smith, who looks way different from uh, Chandler Jones, right? Like all these guys have different body types, but I think that there are some core traits and core characteristics that 
match across the board. And it's just fun uh, being able to try and, and diagnose what that is. But I agree with you wholeheartedly that when you have the guy that, you know, I, I'll start the turn, you know, I called it Aaron Donald alien earlier. You're not going to find that guy on a consistent basis. So being able to diagnose like, okay, like that guy is, is a special, he is an outlier, but who are the other guys at that position that also present those, you know, that same kind of stress to an offense and, and how do we best replicate that? I think it's, uh, it's always a fun conversation uh, at every position. My last question for you on our way out the door is this looking at just as then this will make this an Eagles related question here, looking at these pass rushers for the Eagles and you could throw Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave, you know, Lee Jackson, all those guys in the interior in as well. But, you know, mainly Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, we saw really come on. Any kind of takeaways with those guys uh, as you kind of, you know, coming out of this exercise and then, you know, pointing, painting your uh, attention towards that group? Well, the defensive line over the last five years with the Eagles has been infectious with their intensity, effort, yeah. hustle, not only from the edges, but the defensive linemen as well, whether that was Fletch, Timmy Jernigan, Malik Jackson, whoever it was across different position coaches. It's an infectious trait. It's it one that they, they demand among their teammates. And you see that with Brandon Graham, Barnett, and Josh Sweat. And I think it's interesting. They all three different shapes and sizes and all win differently. Um, but I think the best aspect is how hard they all play and how willing they are to play to the whistle and really, you know, generate a lot of those motor effort plays, whether it's in uh, third downs and getting after quarterbacks or just hustling to plays all over the field in general. And I think it's been a lot of fun to watch Josh Sweat turn from a developmental prospect into a pretty technical rusher or Derek Barnett kind of use that snap jumping bend flexibility into a pursuit player and using that all around athleticism to clean up plays like we just talked about, you know, Hendrickson and uh, TJ Watt. And that's how they make their money while and, still you know, developing those, those low side rushes, too. I mean, we see him with, with the inside spin and the, the long arm. We've seen him work some of those in as well. A thousand percent. It seems like he's really starting to embrace playing through contact a lot more than the way he generated many of those SEC record sacks at Tennessee, yep. where he was more of a runaround type. So that's also buyer beware that, hey, if you were a snap jumper runaround type in college, just because you were doesn't mean you can't do the other stuff. So yep. there's always going to be a little bit of figuring out, developing, discovering with prospects once you get your hands on them. Sometimes the discoveries are great. Sometimes they're disappointing. And that's why the draft really isn't a, you know, a complete animal. But to kind of spin this forward and things we talk about quite often on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, you know, somebody I think is going to have a really productive rookie year because of all the things we were talking about like a Carlos Basham at Wake Forest yep. who isn't the twitchiest guy, isn't the fastest guy, isn't the most technical guy, but he is tough and he is relentless and he's going to chase plays forever all over yep. the field. So he's a guy that I don't know where you get drafted, but he's the type that I think, you know what? That's the TJ Watt, Trey Hendrickson, high motor type, physical type that I'm expecting to win and win early. Yeah. This was a, uh, a fun, fun conversation. And Next week, we're going to go back to the offensive side for another really fun one because, uh, Ben, next week, we are going to go through all of Travis Kelsey's catches from this past season. Now, uh, truly a unique player at the position, but we we're going to talk about usage. We're going to talk about how he wins at the top of routes, at the catch point. A lot to get to uh, with Travis Kelsey, but that will be a fun conversation. We'll do that next week uh, right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. And you know, 
I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that, and that's Michael J. Infoman PA. Left a five-star review and said, Fran, this is the only place where I can find the best X's and O's coverage about the Eagles. Your recent episode describing last season's defensive scheme of the Indianapolis Colts assumes that new defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon will scheme up the Eagles' defensive coverage in a similar fashion. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus was primarily responsible for the scheme and not necessarily Gannon, who was the defensive backs coach. How do we know whether Gannon might be favoring a completely different philosophy from Eberflus, his old boss? And Michael... That's a great question, and we don't know that, right? That's the, that's the big thing, uh, and we did talk about that last week late in the show was that you know everything that we talked about, that's just what we have the, with this body of work, and I promise you that's what NFL teams, uh, opponents that are preparing for the Eagles, they're going to be going off of last year's Colts film until they've got new film to go through. They're going to take some other things uh, into consideration. Certainly, as we mentioned last week, he worked under Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. He worked under Jerry Gray as a, as a, a lower-level assistant out in Tennessee as well. But they're going to take all of that into account. But the most recent film, they're going to go back to Indianapolis and say, okay, this is these are some of the things we can expect from a coverage standpoint. Now, is it going to look exactly the same? We don't know that. We, it could. It could look like something completely different. We don't know until we see. But it's a great question and it's a great point. Um, but look, this is this is what we've got to work with uh, at this point, right? So uh, it was fun going back and watching that entire Colts defense. You know, in terms of all their turnovers, all their big plays. If you guys missed that discussion last week, make sure you go back. It's right on the feed. You can go back and listen uh, to that episode. It was a lot of fun uh, digging into what made that Colts defense so successful this past fall. So great question there from Michael. Thanks so much to him and thank. Thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here at Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.